Welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. And hello there. How are you today and how's your week going? Everything good with your family? Hoping so. So I'm Paul Samico. I'm the host of what you're now listening to, The Legal Merry-Go-Round. Yes, that's right. The ups and the downs. So my motto for you always is avoid the downs and savor the ups. And not just with the law. In everything in your life. I want you just to enjoy and never have to look back or look down because something happened bad. So, you know, today, of course, is Wednesday, and that means that it's Wrongdoer Wednesdays here at the Legal Merry-Go-Round. Wrongdoer Wednesdays. We're going to talk about law and criminals breaking the law and that sort of thing. And to remind you, Monday shows are always about uh, the family, uh, divorce, alimony, uh, all those things related to family law that uh, sometimes are happy and sometimes not so much. Uh, Marital Mondays is the name of that show. And Fridays, I talk about accidents and injury cases and where people get hurt because others didn't do what they should have done or did something they shouldn't have done. Um, I call that show the Fender Bender Fridays. So, I want to share with you that I'd love, first of all, to have you subscribe to this show. It's a relatively new one, and your support to me is just, well, it means everything. So the way you do that, you go to the website of my podcast here, thelegalmerrygoround.com. And when you get there, you've got some surprises waiting for you. You can get all kinds of free legal reports that I've written Uh, yes, in virtually every of those categories, you're going to love getting these reports. It's a free, simple download. And you also are going to be able to use my podcast website as a resource. If you have legal questions or legal cases or concerns anywhere in the country, you can communicate with me and I'm going to make referrals to lawyers that you can trust And the referral fee, again, 100% free. So I think and I hope that this will be a resource for you going forward. And anybody you know, tell your friends about this, please. So let's hit it. Today, I want to talk about the criminal concept of intent and actions taken after intent toward committing a crime. And I have five cases, so fasten your seatbelts because I'm going to share what happened in these cases as the setup before the break that I'm going to take. And then after I come back from the break, I'm going to tell you the results of these cases. So out in Michigan to begin with, we have uh, four people who are eventually charged and convicted of the attempt to steal, I hope you're ready for this, from an old lady, an 80-year-old woman. Now, I guess she wasn't quite that old mentally because she was about her wits and able to invite these people in. She knew one of them previously. These were younger people. The one that she knew had done some handyman work for her around in in her house. 
So on this particular day, knocked on the door, and there is the one she knows uh, with three companions that they are going to uh, go ahead and clean out her chimney, do some chimney work for her. And she's delighted. Well, yes, this would be a wonderful thing. I love to have a clean chimney. Uh, so they go in, but while they're there, a neighbor sees the car that he doesn't recognize parked in front of the house. And he knows that this is an 80-year-old woman living alone. So the neighbor calls the police and the police come in and lo and behold, they find the four people scattered throughout the house, nowhere near the chimney. And the bedroom is disheveled and they find um, that the woman's rings were by the TV. She had some nice rings, some jewelry, uh, where one defendant was sitting uh, when the police walked in. Uh, there was additional jewelry behind couch pillows. There was a necklace found on the basement staircase. So you're thinking, Grandma here didn't put those things in those places. Well, these individuals were charged uh, with theft, and I'm going to share with you what happened uh, after the break. Case number two. This is a case of some very interesting attempt at wheeler, wheeler, wheeling and dealing, wheeler and dealer, wheeling and dealing in New York City. So you've got a pretty rich guy who owns some pretty expensive artwork. In fact, the appraisal for the artwork that was then sent on to his insurance was $18.5 million. So this is a quite a scheme. The art owner uh, decides that he's going to ship all of this art to a vault in New York City someplace to keep it safe, to keep his art work safe. But his scheme is that then he's arranging for some robbers uh, to go and steal it. And my guess is that he had made arrangements as to where they're going to take the art once they steal it from the vault. Uh, and then he was going to make a claim to the insurance that his art was stolen and try and collect the $18.5 million. Well, okay, guess what happens? One of the robbers that uh, he solicits to carry out this scheme is an undercover cop. So you want to know what happens? You're going to have to wait until I come back after the break. Third case is over in South Dakota. Shoplifter. You've perhaps seen this on numerous occasions in real life, maybe. I hope that if you did, you reported it or maybe on TV you see these shows with these little kids and teenagers trying to steal stuff in stores. Well, we've got this goofball who is in a uh, hardware store, and um, he is trying to steal wrenches uh, from the hardware store. And he puts them in his clothes, and he begins to walk out past the registered, uh, the registers, uh, you know, clearly showing no intent to pay for it and secreting the, uh, the merchandise, the wrenches. Uh, but he hadn't yet left the store when a security guard stops him and says, you know, hey, Fred, uh, whatever the guy's name, uh, come with me. You're going back into the office. So, you know, you're not getting away with this. So he was charged, of course, with shoplifting. And we're going to share with you what happened when we come back. Case number four, also in New York, four guys intended to rob 
a payroll delivery man. So they had apparently uh, become aware that uh, there's cash being delivered. Uh, there's no description of who the delivery uh, facility or, per- or, or, or company is. You know, we've seen all these Brinks trucks that bring payroll to the banks, right? Well, apparently uh, the store has uh, payroll delivered uh, to them so they can give it to their employees. And you got four guys who are intending upon robbing the delivery guy. Um, They all had firearms. Uh, The police intervened and arrested all four of these guys before they could find the payroll delivery guy coming with the cash. They wanted to rob the guy at a location uh, right in front of where they were arrested. So again, the question is, do they get convicted and go to the clink or not? We're going to let you know after I come back from the break. The fifth case is very interesting. I really enjoyed reading this and what happened. So this guy rents an office um, above a bank vault, above a bank. And the office is literally right above the bank vault. And he gets all the tools and everything that that he needs, and he drills holes so that at one point all he has to do is lift uh, the the floorboards and he would be able to jump right into the vault and then assume he can steal the money once he's in the vault. Um, he is uh, actually a mathematician, interestingly enough, and he, he rents this office above the vault under a false name. So the holes he drills into the floor above the vault, as I said, on a Saturday when he knew that the office and the bank uh, were empty. Now, he stopped drilling the holes before the holes went into the floor, uh, excuse me, into the ceiling of the vault. He installed a lock on a closet door where he uh, started drilling the holes. So what happens? The landlord that is renting the office to him where he's drilling the holes found the key to the vault Uh, the office, and the holes in the floor and notifies the cops. The defendant says in a written statement that he gives when he's caught, uh, you know, before he's actually in the vault, however, uh, he gives a written statement that says, he drilled the holes and because of tiredness, fear, and the implications of what I was doing, I stopped and went to sleep. At this point, Uh, I I think my motives began to change. He further stated that he didn't want to go through with the crime, but then he stated, I still have not given up on my plan, however. I felt I had made a certain investment of time, money, and effort, and a certain psychological commitment to the concept. He then stated that although he came back several times uh, to the office to continue the drilling, uh, the thought of going through with the crime seemed more and more absurd to him. So, Was he convicted of this charge? This would have been attempted burglary or not. Stay with me after the break, and I'm going to share the results of all of this with you. Bye-bye for now. Not going to go to the break quite yet. I want to tell you about a woman who was in a furniture store. And she tripped and fell 
over a little kid, a toddler, who was running around unchecked inside the furniture store. So she sues the furniture store and claims that they should have people there making sure that little kids aren't running around into the shoppers. So she files this lawsuit, and remarkably, beyond comprehension, not able in my wildest dreams able to understand, she wins $80,000. Oh, yeah, one of the pertinent facts of the case, the toddler was her kid. Oh, you got to love it, only in America. I'll be back after the break. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then, either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up, and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. We're back. So, okay, you were a little kid and you were looking at that cookie jar after mom told you you are not taking any cookies until after dinner. And she leaves the room and she comes back and you've taken four or five steps closer to that cookie bar, cookie jar. And your, uh, your eyes are about as wide as they can be. And you're salivating, waiting for that amazing cookie, you know, to be in the jar. Are you guilty? Did you take the cookie? Well, in adult life, there are things that we call crimes. And an attempt for a crime in most jurisdictions is just as bad as the crime itself. Attempt consists of two elements. One is the intent to commit the underlying offense. The other is taking a substantial step beyond the mere preparation, collaborative of the intent to commit the underlying offense. The line between mere preparation and a substantial step, of course, can be hard to identify. Facts are always going to be there. Some uh, scholars have suggested that the more egregious the underlying offense, 
the sooner preparation will become a substantial step. Defenses are few and rarely recognized. Impossibility to complete an attempted offense offers no real obstacle to conviction. The abandonment of the effort, once a substantial step line has been crossed, is no defense. Now, the states are allowed to set in their own ideas of crimes what are crimes and what are not. They, they define crimes in their statutes, in their laws. They specify punishment for a person who is shown beyond a reasonable doubt, that's the standard on our criminal law, to have acted in a certain way in certain circumstances and with certain results. This succeeds into finding uh, a second crime as well, namely the crime of attempting to commit the crime as defined. Legislatures can specifically not prescribe the attempt to commit a crime. They can say, okay, attempt is not a crime, but they don't always have statutes saying that an attempt to do X, Y, or Z is not a crime. So in the absence of explicit statements or laws or details of the statutory scheme to that effect, if there is no such thing that says X, Y, Z, the attempt is not a crime, then the defining of the crime by the legislature grants the state the power to punish also for the attempt. Now, you might want to know why. Why is this an attempt? Why is that a crime? What problem are we trying to solve by having a system in which it's kind of almost automatically always a crime to attempt uh, to, to do something criminal? I, I think it's natural to answer that we're solving a problem of inequality. Since there's no difference between the person who completes the crime and the person who tries but fails, and since there's no uh, other good reason to treat them differently, there shouldn't be a difference in treatment by the state. A system that doesn't punish uh, attempts to commit crimes treats equally deserving citizens differently and for no good reason. So let's go back to the five cases. The first case, again, you remember in Michigan, these four people go into the lady's house and uh, the bedroom is disheveled and there's jewelry of the ladies all over the place. The 80-year-old lady and the four people uh, that go in to do chimney work and she knew one of them. That's why she let them in. So believe it or not, they were found not guilty. The court decided that an overt act must be manifest or be symbolic of the crime. All of them claimed, they all got their, their stories straight. <laughs> Get this, you love this, right? I mean, this, this is kind of some of the BS that goes on, but it's just, you know, we live with it. Uh, I'm sorry to, to, to say the court, you know, uh, pulled the wool over our eyes and gave us a different direction here. But uh, the four of them got their story together and claimed, well, were they, they were just playing jokes on the lady hiding her jewelry. They never intended to steal it. Well, okay, uh, not guilty. Let's go back to New York City. This is the, the gentleman who uh, had this very, very valuable collection of art uh, estimated appraised at $18.5 million in value. He wants to 
uh, engineer a theft after he transports this art and puts it in a vault somewhere in a, a facility in New York City, and he arranges for some robbers to go and steal the artwork so that he can then make an insurance claim and collect the $18.5 million. Unfortunately, one of the robbers that he employs is an undercover cop. So he is claiming that the evidence doesn't support that uh, he had advanced the crime to the point where we would be considered a theft. The cops caught uh, the robbers uh, when they were boxing up the artwork, uh, having now taken it out of the storage unit, the vault, but they had not sent the artwork uh, to any other place. It was still literally, I mean, feet from the vault. And so the guy's claiming, hey, you know, no, I mean, uh, I was just taking it and putting it in boxes to uh, make sure that the humidity wouldn't affect the art. And then we're going to put it right back into uh, the vault. Well, because one of the robbers was uh, an undercover cop, he knew all the plans and he described for the court exactly what the plan was. And the plan was they were taking it and they weren't about to uh, just put it back into the vault. So uh, guess what, friend? <laughs> Guilty behind bars. Um, good decision. He didn't uh, clearly uh, just intend to box it and uh, make sure there was no humidity hitting his artwork. Shoplifter, third case I talked about in South, uh, South Dakota. Shoplifter didn't leave the store yet. This is this goofball who takes wrenches and puts them in his clothes and walks past the registers to, uh, um, you know, ostensibly leave the store with these wrenches. Guilty. Mod and you knew that. Modern law focuses on the accused intent and exercise, you're going to love these legal words, exercise, I'm reading from the, the court transcript, exercise of dominion and control over the object. In modern convenience stores, the owner gives consent to customers to take possession and exercise dominion and control over the store's items. However, customers may only do so with the continued rights of the owner as predominant ownership of the items. So clearly this yucklehead decides, you know, he thinks he's pulling the wool over everybody, uh, particularly the wool over the, the wrenches, and he's just about to skate out of the store. Gotcha guilty. Intent clear. Case number four, back in New York, four guys uh, go to rob, uh, intend to rob a payroll delivery guy. Uh, again, they're there. They have guns. Uh, police are following them. They know the cops what's going on. Um, they intervene uh, when the the truck or the vehicle, whatever it was, is parked in front of the place where they intended to accost the payroll delivery person when the payroll delivery person gets there. So before the payroll delivery person gets there, the cops arrest these guys. Is there a conviction? Well, there was, but it was appealed and it was overturned. Not guilty is the final results. The court determined that the defendant's acts were merely preparation merely preparation. They said that they were too remote with respect to the commission of the crime 
to constitute robbery or an attempted robbery because he had not they had not found or seen the man who in, was intended to be robbed. The act or acts must come or advance very near to the accomplishment of the intended crime. No attempt to rob the man could be made at least until he came into into sight. Um, So the end of that story is they were convicted of illegal gun possession. But no attempt, uh, this attempt, according to this New York court, did not go far enough. Uh, Conviction of attempted robbery overturned. Last but not least, the guy who was drilling the holes in an office that he rented under a false name directly above a bank vault. The uh, question is whether he's going to be uh, convicted of attempted burglary. Drum roll, please. Yes, he was convicted. The prosecution had to prove that he committed an attempt to burglarize. They were required to prove that uh, uh, he had established that he was going to do this, his specific intent to commit the burglary of the bank, and that his acts towards that goal went beyond mere preparation. Court had the question whether drilling into a bank vault, stopping short of entering the vault, and drilling directly into the vault constitutes mere preparation or an attempted robbery. The uh, conviction on this attempted robbery was upheld on an appeal. Drilling activity, the court said, was clearly an unequivocal and direct step towards the completion of the burglary. Burglary. It was a fragment of the substantive crime contemplated, the beginning of the breaking element, breaking and entering. Moreover, the defendant referred to the drilling as the commencement of his plan. He had said the drilling, uh, um, by, they said the drilling by the defendant was obviously one of a series of acts which logic, ordinary experience indicate would result in the prescribed act of burglary. It doesn't matter whether the defendant halts the advancement of the crime voluntarily or involuntarily. Obviously, if someone gets caught in the act, that's clearly going to be, uh, you know, considered to be a commission or just short of the commission of the crime, intercepted by police or caught in the act, guilty. Here, he wasn't aware. Uh, he was aware, I should say, I'm sorry. He was aware that the landlord had taken his property and discovered his acts. The landlord, again, had uh, discovered all this and was the one who called the cops. Uh, these acts prompted his abandonment of the crime. Once the attempt is found, there can be no exculpatory abandonment. So, there you have it. Five cases, two not guilties, three guilties. The moral of the story, boys and girls, you cannot be convicted for your thoughts. You know, you could think of most horrendous things and, well, sorry, we can't convict you. But when you take certain steps towards the commission of a crime, yes, you can be commit. You can be convicted. The closer you get to committing the crime, the more likely it is that you're going to be convicted. So there's so many examples out there, and I'm sure I'll swing around eventually to talking about these types of cases more in later shows on Wrongdoer Wednesdays. But for now, uh, think what you want. Hopefully, it's pure thoughts and it's not criminal things. 
lead a good life. Don't get involved with a criminal enterprise or criminals uh, because your family wants you home. And so do I. Until next time, please go back again to my website. Please subscribe to this show. It would be the world to me that you did. And take a look and see what resources we have on that website, thelegalmerrygoround.com. Have a good afternoon. Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations. 